Hello and welcome to a Burkamp Wonderland and Arsenal podcast. <sighs> yeah, I don't want to be here either, but Danny forced me to be here. He said, if you do not come and host this podcast, I'm going to eat your family. And we all know Danny, he can eat. So, no further ado, uh, I am sitting here, well, not really here, but joining me today is Josh. How are you, Josh? Um, very well, thank you. I managed to quickly mute uh, the YouTube window that I had open at the same time in order to start listening to what you actually said as your introduction because I was very confused. Sorry, Danny's confused all the time as well. So, you know, we are where we are. Uh, also joining me, we have, if you check out his Twitter, ha- oh, sorry, um, it's uh, Chris, everyone. Well, you want me to respond to that? <laughs> really? I give up my hard-earned time of doing nothing to talk about that this horrendous football club we all support, and you mock me, Carl. I, th- I thought you were better than this. I thought you were better, mate. I'm disappointed. You know what? I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Blame Danny. Danny was the one that made me do it. So everything that goes wrong in this podcast, we are blaming Danny. Just putting it out there. Uh, yeah, to anybody that watched the uh, Guna Guna's podcast last night, you know exactly why we're saying this about Danny because he's a scumbag and he threw us under the bus. This yeah, is a revolt. Should. Damn right. I think we should uh, take over the podcast and name it a Josh and Chris and Carl Burkamp Wonderland, personally. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. Military coup, that's what it is. <laughs> um, talking about military coups, maybe we need to do one of Arsenal because as of late, their results have been <laughs> rather shambolic. I mean, you know, this November hasn't been the greatest and it was uh, topped off by the defeat to Wolves. Uh, Chris, <laughs> what can we say about that defeat to Wolves? <laughs> Where would you like me to start? <laughs> um, November's never a good month, is it? Why, why do we always have a bad November? But the problem is, let's be perfectly honest here. Let's be perfectly honest with ourselves. Apart from Fulham, who, barring Sheffield United and Burnley uh, and one result the other day, are probably the worst team in the league, um, I, I can't think of any high spots. I mean, even Old Trafford, if you really look back at it now, you really, really analyse that game, you know, yeah, we, we, we got the points and, and, of course, it's nice to get them. But it wasn't great, was it? It wasn't like we came away from it going, we were clearly the, the, the dominant side and we did this and we did that. As for Wolves, I mean, it's... I said it last... Well, it was on last, was on last week or the week before. I think it was last week. We just... We're, we're bad. We're bad to watch. There's no entertainment value. Um, you know, we'll probably touch on... On, on the manager situation a bit in a bit more depth a little bit later on uh, i'm not giving up on the guy by you know by 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 no means am i giving up on him but the the phrases the sound bites the positivity positivity all being questioned for me there's a couple of things that I, I definitely want to mention later on about how he's treated certain players and i think we're going to pay the price for it again i touched on that last time but it, it's even more relevant now i think and we're just we're embarrassing, and and if if I was um if I was an opposition team coming to playing us at home or playing us away, as soon as we go one up, I'd, I'd feel comfortable we were going to get the result. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't look at us and think, oh yeah, but they've got this player, that player. Um, and as for the captain, 
Um, you know, we, we've praised him when it's been good. I think the time's come and we have to start questioning a few things uh, because that that feeble effort that he put in, particularly in the, in the second half, I don't think it's good enough. I don't think it's good enough as a captain. I don't think it's good enough as a forward. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to defend certain players that have been left out of the team recently uh, and, and other players that have come in and not taken their chances. It's, it's just the whole thing is is rotten to the core. And I know a lot of people are, are going into the the recruitment and all of this. And, you know, we went into that when we were speaking to, to Tom and Deeks, the, the last pod. I don't think this is about recruitment now. There's there's too many good players in that team that are massively underperforming and it worries me. And and I, I'm finding it's really hard to watch as Sunday has proven. Yeah, it, it was a very hard watch. Josh, this is like a question that I don't know if you can answer. What do you think has gone wrong? It looks like, oh well, yeah, I know. Uh, it's... It's a question I think Mikel Arteta has been asking himself quite often as well because he doesn't necessarily look like he's got an available solution to him or at least not to hand anyway. And I think I think what we can see from the last couple of games is that if Thomas Partey isn't in the side, I don't think we can play four at the back because we don't have Jack... Well. Jacker kind of falls in and makes that five at the back with his positioning, but he doesn't screen uh, as well. Um, Elneny, unfortunately, being caught up and having COVID, so also hasn't been in the side either. He's uh, another player that can offer us that screen. We can see that we're too... Um, it's too easy to get through the middle of our team to then get at our defence and ultimately you can see goals and then we've got the problem at the other end of the field that our forward line has got no chemistry whatsoever I don't know how they've lost it since you know even since the summer they just seem to have not understood and not clicked with each other and they the complete lack of any movement of any real quality from any of the front three. And you can pick any player that has played in our front three at any point, and all of them make terrible runs for us. There was a point where Granit Xhaka, in the second half of the Wolves game, he gets the ball, he's trying to progress it. Xhaka never carries the ball with his feet, so he's looking for a pass. He's been there for, what, three seasons, maybe four? Too many. Well... That's an opinion anyway. But at least players know how he plays. He's not going to, you know, take the ball and carry it 30, 40 yards and then lay it off to a man. Someone's got to make a decent move in front of him. And he didn't have that option. So he then has to play a sideways pass to Kieran Tierney, who then looks forward, sees fuck all movement again, plays it back to Granite Xhaka. And then the third time Xhaka gets it back, because again, no movement that he can play a decent pass to, Wolves get close to him, tackle him, and everyone's like, oh, fucking Jacker, he's shit. But look at the problem. You can't see it on necessarily the screen, you know, the general broadcast view you get. But look at the highlights where you get different camera angles and look how bad our movement is. There's just no one giving him an option in behind or breaking past him 
and this is an issue not only for Xhaka, this is an issue for Ceballos, it's an issue for Elneny. Any player in our midfield does not have the options up front to play to. And it doesn't matter who we're talking about. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to call out, you know, Nicolas Pepe or it's Nelson, Willian, Abamyang. It's all of them. The collective forward line have such poor movement. And that's got to be down to a system. It's got to be a system. If everybody's doing it, it's a problem with the system. And I think we've seen the various past maps. I think there's the one from Wolves with, uh, you know, from the first minute to the 55 minute mark, all of our players, it it looks like a past map from a Gasparini Atalanta side, except without the quality. Everybody's out on the flanks and there's only two men centrally. That's it. So no wonder our crosses look shit and there's only one person in there because everyone else is out on the flanks, not offering anything for us. And he, he and in Arteta really needs to have a look at our forward line. And I think generally the personnel isn't there for us to really implement what he's trying to do. But fundamentally, I think it's bad, bad tactics from him. So ultimately, Chris, what do you think Arteta is trying to do? Do you think he knows his quote unquote best team? Do you think he knows his favorite system? I mean, you'd think by now he'd have an idea in his head of what his preferred team is. And I understand you can say that, you know, for each opposition, you have to change up a little bit. And I totally understand that. But you think that we'd have a settled team, but we don't really. And okay, you can kind of say that. Partey's come in and he, he played well for two games, but obviously he then got injured. Um, El Nene obviously uh, contracted COVID, but do you think he has a preferred system or a preferred team to play? No, and I think that's how I think that's half the problem. I think he's. Um, I think we made a. I think we. I think we've made a very a very. Um, Dangerous is the wrong word. I think we've I think we've taken a gamble in how much power we've we've given to Mikel at this point, and and that's not like hindsighting. It's just I thought it at the time, and I still think it now. It's it's all very well backing a manager, and it's all very well saying that he's your man, and, and you know you're going to stand by him, etc., and so on. But when you you change his job title, and you basically put it out there that he's got full control over everything. He's almost been in in his paradise ever since, and it's because everything has been done by him. And my worry is that, like you say, is he picked his best team? My concern is that in November he's already just throwing ideas in there and seeing if something will work. And that that's a big worry for me because for all the faults of of some of the you know some of the best managers out there. Um, you have certain managers who stick to their style and their style only because it works. Um, hopefully it doesn't work this season, if you know who I'm referring to there. But um, And you look at the attacking managers, uh, even Arsene in his, his, his latter time, sure, he got a lot wrong, but you could always be assured that his first thought would be attack. It would always be, we'll play the Arsenal way, we'll take it to you, and if we get picked off defensively, so be it. We've gone so far the other way now, that we're we're almost setting up and we're afraid of what the opposition are going to do to us. 
and the the lineups that are being picked and the like Josh said on the the, the touch maps the lack of any central midfield that all bleeds in but what is unforgivable and I and I don't know if this comes from well I'm pretty sure this doesn't come from the manager you know be very surprised if it does there's a lack of desire there's a lack of heart from some of those players some of those players are just wandering around that pitch thinking well you know we're the Arsenal it'll, it'll come right eventually and I know we've got questions later on, but I want to pick up on it now because it's a great point. Julian Summon asked in, in the chat, do you think f- having fans back in will will hinder us or help us? Somebody tweeted the other day, I thought it was brilliant. They were like, fantastic, we're back in the in the ground soon, so at least we'll be, we'll be able to boo the team again. It's not going to help having fans back because 2,000 fans, I mean, for me, it's, it's a stupid idea anyway, but 2,000 fans in the Emirates or even 4,000 in the Emirates you're going to hear lots of individual voices and I don't think they're going to be particularly chuffed if they're paying, you know, that, that, that whole, we're back in the ground, we're back watching football. That's only going to last a couple of weeks until people go, hang on a minute. We're back. Yeah, that's great. We're paying for this and putting our health at risk and we're watching this. And I, I, I think Mikel has had, um, initially, I think it really, it really benefited him. I know we joked about the whole tactics breaks where he had that period of time where he could, organize things i think he's really missed those because it's almost like he could micromanage halfway through each half and he had almost four quarters in american sports sort of style and i feel like now i I just i don't i don't think he knows what a his best formation is what b his best tactic is in terms of you know like not not obviously individual games we pick different tactics but his overall tactic i.e how he wants us to play and I think he's trying to do far too much too soon. You know, go back to basics. He made us hard to beat. He's, he, he made us defensively sound. Even that's looking a bit ropey now because we've got two fullbacks who want to play as wingers. As Josh rightly said, since we've gone to a back four, you know, if, if we if we, if Granite Xhaka is anywhere near this team, we cannot play with four at the back. I don't think we can play with 11 players if Xhaka's in the team, personally. I think the guys are just atrocious. And I have done for a while and that hasn't changed. But you you can't you cannot have an immobile midfield and two centre backs if you've got basically two wing two wing wingers as fullbacks because that's what we've got and I love Kieran Tierney to bits and I love Hector Bellerin to bits but they're not they're not wingers and there's no point having Kieran Tierney running down the wing and firing in crosses for for somebody who's afraid to head the ball apparently or for somebody who's got no desire to head the ball or for somebody who can't jump to head the ball because that's what we've got at the moment it might sound harsh. But go back and watch Sunday and tell me I'm wrong. I so the, yes, long way around it. But I don't think he don't think he knows his best his best way at the moment. I think the crowd thing is going to be really interesting. Uh, I mm. think it will only be about twenty minutes before people get annoyed with what they're seeing. Yeah. But it's that thing that for what it's eight months or so of actual time on the field playing competitive football games with Arteta at the helm. The only voice the players have heard for 90 minutes is Arteta. Absolutely. And we kind of say it about, you know, Pep Guardiola. Um, I think Jose said it as well, that his message gets lost when he's there for too long. It's the only voice you hear. Yeah. We need, you know, as well as him saying to X player, you know, press, we need you know, another thousand voices also saying man on and those kind of just boring things that we say after watching 
and I don't necessarily want to call out players across it because I think it's the whole squad. But to me, the performance of Aubameyang against Wolves looked like, and it has for a couple of weeks, a player that only really shows up when there's a crowd, mm. when there's someone to impress. He seems to have lost motivation from that point of view. And I wonder if when we see the 2,000 fans in the stadium, that the players pick their game up again because they're out to impress somebody. You know, the early stages of Arteta, they were out to impress Arteta. But now they've he's kind of seen how they're playing. You know, they've done that early stage of, right, I'm in the first 11 now. Ozil and Socrates, unlucky guys. You were the unlucky two that got left out of the squads. But the rest of them just looked like, right, whew, we made it. Do you think also a bit of pressure might help as well? And I, and I say that by, like you said, uh, obviously Aubameyang needs to or maybe wants to impress fans. But, you know, sometimes it's almost, oh, shit, my boss is watching. I need to perform a little bit better. So when the crowd does get into the um, to the stadium, it may be a little bit of that as well, that, oh, I've got to play a little bit better because the fans, I don't know, not take it on my back, mm. but the fans are here, so I want to show off for them or at least try to play just that tiny bit better. I mean, it's yeah. um, it's definitely something that, you know, we're hoping that it works for us. And, you know, even 2,000 people, you know, I know the stadium's going to be big and I don't know where everyone's going to sit, whether it's, it's going to... I'm assuming they're going to put them all in one stand and um, just obviously... Yeah, social like in distance. France, Um and hopefully um, it will work for us. But I, I I don't know. I mean, we can kind of... I mean, we'll talk about the Wolves game and then we'll move on to other stuff. I mean... Um, Just know, before we do, can I, ask, can I ask you a question? Because I know sometimes when you host, you don't always get your say. What did, like, you, you and I, Carl, are quite similar. Um, I mean, to be fair, Josh, Josh is the same, but we've always been quite positive regardless. Um, we, we let John piss on the fireworks. Love you, John. Um, but yeah, we've always been quite positive, you know, whether it was under Arsene latter day, whether it was under Unai and, and when it's under Mikel. I mean, I, I, my mood has turned massively this this season. You know, I, I I was excited by what we did in the summer. I thought we'd made some good moves. I liked the talk that was coming out. There was a few decisions that I raised my eyebrow and thought, hmm, let's hope he gets those right. And I think three of them have already gone wrong, which is a bit worrying. But, you know, what what do you make of it? Because you've, you've been to games more than, than Josh and I have. So, I mean, what, what, how do you think it's going to, going to go with fans back and, and, and what are you making of it? Cause I say we're positive people, but both you and I are, are in that box of going, Oh God, this is a bit naff kind of thing. You know, we're, we're miserable as well. I think the fact that it's November and we're, we're in 14th position for me <laughs> says a lot. I think, the, um, and I know this and leagues are not won in November and leagues are not lost in November, but, it goes a, a, having points on the board goes a long way too, and I'm not saying that we're ever going to win the league this season. We were, we finished eighth last season. There's no way we're going from eighth to first. It's it's, it's not going to happen. However, I thought that we'd be a, a bit further up the table, and I was thinking, you know, third. I was thinking that we could do something like you, Christopher. Um, I thought that. You know, we'd made some good signings. I thought that Arteta coming in, a breath of fresh air. Um, I'll be very honest with you. I 
was not a fan of him leaving Ozil out the squad, not at all. Um, but I backed, you know, I backed him. He's the manager. He wanted to leave Ozil out the squad. That's what he did. Do you know what? As the manager, you kind of back him because he knows or he sees more uh, than we ever do. You know, we're fans. We only see, um, you know, little snippets, you know, little training videos. He's there in and out of training every day and apparently it's football reasons. I think we all know it's not football reasons. However, you know, if that's what the club tell us, then I'd, shit. I'd say it's football reasons. Sorry, I'd come in on that. I'd say it's football it, reasons that Ozil wasn't in the... So you think that there is nobody... You think that Ozil is one of the weak, worst midfielders in the whole entire squad? You think that Ozil wouldn't I think bring nothing Meza, to the squad? I think Meza Ozil doesn't offer us anything on the field on a day-to-day sorry on on a match day he doesn't offer us anything extra that Mikel Arteta finds he needs from it what what we really need in this squad is players who run beyond the ball Meza Ozil wants the ball to feet and wants to dictate play outside the box he doesn't want to run beyond the man that's fine because we can build up quite slow and we can have Granit Xhaka sitting outside there or we can have Ceballos sitting out there Sabayos and Elneny have both shown us that they've got the ability to play a slide rule pass through a defence from outside the box and play in a striker. Meza Ozil, also we have seen, doesn't necessarily take instruction well. He's always had it his way, especially under Wenger, because Wenger never used to coach a forward line, did he? He was always, use your instincts. It was very kind of holistic way of dealing with it yeah it was very free form it was not organized chaos and it wasn't even chaos it was just express yourself that was almost his directions to everybody uh meza ozil would be asked to do these specific things and one thing we do know is you can mold a young player to do what you want if you ask them specifically of an older guy who has done it all uh the only probably what the only medal he doesn't have in his um, trophy cabinet is a league title from uh, from the Premier League. He's won everything else. He hasn't got that. He's he's not going to listen. He's not going to take instruction the same way. I think that's why Arteta loves a player like Willian. Willian isn't the best player. We all know that. But he takes instruction and he sticks to it to 90 minutes. And that's the reason why he's playing over the rest of them. Because he's consistent in his performances and there's no way that Meza Ozil is going to come consistent. And we saw it when we played him. He played for a substantial amount of time under Mikel Arteta and he didn't scream a reason why he should be playing over anybody else. Has that's nail uh, that's that's that. nail on that's that's nail on head though for that for me. Um but you, you say you say, say your thoughts, Carol, and then I'll mm. I was gonna say the rest you, of the you give yours and I'll come in after you. Yeah, as I said, the rest of the midfield haven't really done that. Xhaka mm. hasn't done that. Has Sabios, you know, I look at those sort of players and, you know, I Xhaka has a certain specific set of skills. Okay, I don't know why I've gone all taken, but um, <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely has. But um, are they the skills that we need or want at Arsenal? It's, if you look at... What he brought, and I, and I, well, I remember when we first signed him. I listened to, um, I listened to everyone what they said about uh, his team. Um, at what he was like at Gladbach, 
And, you know, uh, John was raving about him and that he was, you know, he's a very good midfielder. But since he's come here, you know, has he been that? I mean, you've seen glimpses and you think, oh, or what, you see him and you think, oh, yeah, it's not too bad. And then you see him another week and you think, what the hell was he doing? I don't think our midfield would be any worse with having Jacka. Sorry, with having Ozil in the squad. I, I just can't see it. And I'm not Ozil's biggest fan. Don't get it wrong. I think he's lazy. I, I think he needs to do much more. But I just don't see that our midfield is any weaker by having Mesut Ozil in the squad. So those bad habits that you say, the the laziness, the, the bits he needs to improve on, is he realistically at 30, 31 going to turn those bad habits around of a lifetime? and suddenly become the player we need. And that's where I want to also say on Granit Xhaka, completely different player, completely different. He's a deep-lying playmaker. That's what Xhaka does. He has a very specific role. Role. I think the only reason he's in our squad is because he's left-footed, and Mikel Arteta loves a left-footed player. He said it already. You know, We went and got Pablo Mari out of the depths of Brazil because he wanted a left-footed centre-back so badly. Um, and perhaps we can go through that deal, you know, at a different time. But Xhaka being, I can't, I wouldn't necessarily compare the two and say the only reason Meza Ozil's not in the squad is because Granite Xhaka is. Oh, no, 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 not at yeah. all. Not, not, not at all. But if you look do, at do, our midfield... Do you know how I... Sorry, on, no, I, I'm just, I'm just going to say, do, do, do you know that the two, the two players... That, that I, I bounce this back to and, and this is where I slightly disagree with what Josh is saying in terms of footballing reasons. When when Mikel was at Manchester City, there were two two players left Man City under the, the Pep regime and the um, Arteta regime. And the two players I'm going to highlight here are Jadon Sancho and Leroy Sane. What do Jadon Sancho and Leroy Sane have in common with Meza Ozil and Matteo Ganduzzi? They're both, uh, they're both free spirits. They're both players that question tactics. They're both players that break rules. They're both players that play with enthusiasm, but almost like Josh said, a bit of free form. Sancho is a, is a guy who expresses himself, and Sane is very much a given the ball and let him do things. And, and those sort of players were, were bombed out. Man City let go of, of Sancho at a young age with all the potential... And why? Because he wouldn't conform to what Pep wanted. And Leroy Sane, when he came back, Pep, I think in one of the interviews, described him as tactically naive. So they let him go. And yet at Bayern Munich and at Borussia Dortmund, respectively, they're two of their best players. And why? Because they're given the license to do what their talents allow them to do on the pitch. The reason that Mikel bombed Gunduzi out and the reason he bombed Ozil out is because those two players are not yes-men. And they're not willing to just be nodding dogs and do what do what is required, because uh, and again, this is, I'm not throwing Mikel under the bus, but the one thing that is so clear about him is if you're not whatever the line was on the boat, he's not going to pick you, and 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 he does not like players who will not do as he asks. And I also think, and and yeah, I know people are going to watch this and go, oh, he's just defending the French players again. I think it's exactly why we're not getting the best out of Lacazette. Because the guy's miserable because he's not being allowed to play the role that we brought him in to play. And let's talk about Pepe. Same again. You know, we, we, we've been over this thousands of times. Bring in a fast counter-attacking winger, 
play him in that role in the Europa League when we're basically playing postmen and donkeys and accountants who can barely kick a football. No offence, but it's true. And Pepe thrives. Why? Because essentially Mikel knows it doesn't really matter what you know what sort of tactics we're given. It doesn't really matter because if we've got any sort of brains, we'll beat Mulder and Dundalk and Rapid Vienna because, again, no offence, actually lots of offence, they're all shit. They just are. Like, if we can't beat those three teams, we've got no business being in European competition, let alone the bloody Champions League. So why are those players thriving in that competition? Because they're given the opportunity to play with younger players and to go out there and express themselves. As soon as the Premier League comes in, the bread and butter, they're throttled beyond, within an inch of their lives. You know, they're, they're, they're given far too many instructions. And you watch that performance, bringing it back to Wolves again, you watch that performance on Sunday and it looked, to me, it looked like a, a squad of tired players, a squad of, of, of unmotivated players, a squad of players who didn't really know what was going on, and a squad of players who desperately want something to work, almost like the latter days of Freddie when we got that result at West Ham. They're all, they're all trying, but nothing's coming off. And rather than getting their heads down and going, right, let's go again, they're looking to the manager and just getting more instructions and going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what more I can do. You know, we, we had... So as I said, the other thing on there as well is looking at the players that have played in the Europa League and looking at the players who have played in the Premier League. I, off the top of my head, I cannot think of a Europa League game that Aubameyang has started and played in. And I think there's a... I don't want to say the final days of Henri, but there is that expectation that just get the ball to Aubameyang, you'll do something. Yeah, And... We're seeing that in the Premier League that no one else is taking responsibility for trying to score goals or trying to produce something. In the Europa League, when Aubameyang's not there, they're like, oh, shit, our crutch is gone. We're going to have to do something. See, you see Nicola Pepe show more industry. You see a Saka or a Nelson do something. You see um, Lacazette, who... I think was frustrated to be taken off against Mulder because he knew there was a goal in that game for him. But it was also the case of he's doing so much work off the ball that he's just frustrated that he's knackered at the same time. And whether or not this is controversial, I know for saying it, but I think it was a few controversial things we've said in this first half hour. I'd drop a Bamiang. And if I think if Arteta had a huge pair of a cojones, he'd start Balogun up front in the North London derby. Because of <laughs> all of our forwards. That's a big call. That's a big call. I know. <laughs> I know. Of all of our forwards, he's the only one in recent weeks that has showed that he wants the ball, that he's going to drive with the team. He might not be the best by any stretch of the imagination. But if you look at Premier League two players and the forwards that have come out of there in recent times who have been absolutely smashing it, you've got Mason Greenwood. Now, if he can start for Man United, he can, you know, the Balogun who was ahead of him in Premier League two can probably get a few games in there. And Connolly, uh, Brighton and Hove Albion, plays week in, week out for them. So again, throw Balogun in. The minutes that I'd be getting to Eddie, 
should be going to Balogun now because I think Eddie's had his chance. And I think we just need to show that I'm not saying drop a Bamiang because he's shit. I'm saying drop a Bamiang because I'll, the rest of the squad are just trying, are just not trying hard enough because they're assuming a Bamiang's just going to get them out of a problem, like he did at Fulham. And against United, a Bamiang scored the penalty for us. It was great. He does superb stuff for us, but he's not. He makes the overall team worse, him being there at the moment, because no one else is pulling their weight. Well, the biggest mistake we ever made was was giving him the captaincy, in my opinion, because it was too much. He's not a captain. It's just it's just not. And I don't I don't want to you know go back to Tony Adams thumping the badge and all this business. But those three performances don't happen under a proper captaincy, in my opinion. You know, you might get a half like that, and and then you get a good rollicking. And and as much as I, I I disagree. I disagree with you, Josh, in terms of bringing Balogun. I, I would like to see Balogun given games in Europa. I do, but I think I think we're I think that's I think we're way off that point. Um, and I don't really think Eddie Nketiah has done enough to justify starting, but he certainly hasn't done any less than the other two strikers. So I think he would be first in line. Um, but I I just think with I just think with Aubameyang that he's he's one of those players. Drew's an excellent one to talk to you about this because he like I has seen him in other leagues. When things are going well, he's great. And and this is not me again. It's not me. Sort of open bus throw player under, but um, he 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 doesn't come across to me as a motivational character when when the chips are down. When things are going well, and I'm sh- and I've heard with the young players, he's very good, and I'm not not disputing that. And and he's an upbeat character. You think back to when he when we were all clamouring for him to sign that contract. He was he was his his work rate was so good. He was on the up. There was absolutely no doubting in anything he was doing. And yet now, when, when we need him the most, it, it's not just that he's not not getting goals. It's it's everything. It's it's all round game. It's it's the sloped shoulders. It's it's the, the the willingness to get into the box that really worries me. This is a guy who we, we're all calling for to be a centre forward. He doesn't want to go in the box, and when he's in the box, it, his movement is 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 not there. And in his best his best years for in particular for Dortmund and, and playing from wide for St Etienne, he was a player that actually you'd want a, a player like if 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 Shaka is good at anything, it's those passes in behind. And what we're we doing? We're crossing to a centre forward who can't head the ball. Like, well, you know, we sold Giroud four years ago. What's the point in swinging in crosses? Perhaps we just bring John Hartson back, you know? Because there's absolutely no point in swinging in crosses for this team. Because not one of our centre forwards or wingers can head a ball, so what's the point? And 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 Aubameyang had a really good chance in that in that Wolves game late on, and and I thought it was quite telling Arteta's reaction. He thought that was in, and and the, the thing that really disturbed me slightly, well, disturbed me a lot, I should say, in that was Aubameyang's reaction. And, and I appreciate everybody reacts in different ways, and we all have different quirks about how we do things. He just sort of looked up, smiled, and kind of trotted off. And I was like, no, I, I don't. I want more. I want you. I want you on the floor, with your head in your hands, pounding the turf, saying, "I'll get the next one." But more importantly, I want you throwing everything at that, not casually jumping with your shoulder turned. Like that's th- th- these are the signs that worry me. It's it's that body language, and and to criticise Lacazette, he's one of the worst ones for bad body language. I love him to bits. I'll always love him. But he he's he's your quintessential moody Frenchman. Like he does not hide. 
his emotions well and and that needs to change you know i think that's where i end up coming to the conclusion that it's only balogun you know as the if there was a better like option ahead or ahead of him then yeah i'd be throwing him in over over Aubameyang there's just needs to be I don't know how much Aubameyang's been affected by what happened over the international break as well where he had to sleep on a airport floor um you know because of connection issues so I think there's something there's something in there that just says that either needs a rest or needs that kind of rocket up his backside because there is something there's a distinct lack of chemistry between him and any of the front front for, uh, well forward players you could see it i think there's a great opportunity just before the header chris you may remember if you watched the um highlights more recently than the actual game and i think it's nelson coming down the wing might be willian and abamian just makes the completely wrong run he runs past the near post and into a weird half channel just off the thing and because you've got no one else in the area What's he doing with that run? There's no way he's going to score there. He was in an all right position. And at the point where whoever's coming in to play the cross has looked up, you know, a bit like Oxlade Chamberlain, you know, he used to run down and he'd only look up every, you know, six or seven meters before he knew where you actually were. It's that kind of service. That's the problem. The service is a problem. And Aubameyang's movement is also terrible. So whenever you get a decent opportunity, to play the ball into him, he's in the wrong position where he can't score from. And right, so that's the that coaching, Josh. Is that not? Yeah, I mean, yes, a player has to have yeah. instincts. I totally understand that. And as a striker, he's 31 years old. So he's been in this game, what, call it 10, 12 years at playing at that position. Surely by now, he should know you know, where to run, how to shape his body. You know, at 31 years old, you know, you, there's only so much you can teach about. Surely, you know, once you're training every day, you should kind of get used to your players and, you know, used to, okay, I know that when this player sort of does this, he's going to pass it that way. If I run this way, he's going to get me the ball. So, like, to say that the chemistry is not there, who is that down to? Is that down to the players themselves or is that down to the, the coaching staff? I think that's down to the coaching staff. At the moment, and that's not necessarily saying we need to make changes in the coaching staff. Uh, I think we just have a very, like we have a lot of raw players in the forward line, we have a lot of raw coaching as well. In the case of our manager, completely trust the process. I think you can see that in the way that he's been backed in the transfer market. And I think there is an issue with the squad we've got in place isn't as good as we potentially, you know, Arteta's done great things with this squad. I think Emery struggled with it. Jumberg struggled with it. About, what, 70% of the players played under Wenger as well. He struggled with this personnel. Now, you might say, you know what, Wenger assembled those players. Emery brought them in as well. Uh, Arteta's, the players that Arteta has brought in I would say, to a point, have been the best players this season for us. In terms of Gabriel, uh, we have got Partey in the midfield and we've seen the difference he has made even in the few number of games that he has played. 
and then we've got Willian, and I think we'll probably discuss that further on what we what our general thoughts are on Willian. But I think the only reason he's in the side is because the rest of our wingers are so inconsistent. The, I don't even think he's don't even think he's a winger anymore. Exactly. I I think he should be playing centrally in mm-hmm. our midfield. That's the best place that I could see him playing. But, but when you've got has Nicolas Pepe done enough to get in ahead of him? And if he does, Willian just goes over to the other flank. And then you say, has Nelson done about enough to get in front of him? Probably not. Has Saka, Saka done has. enough? I think yeah. Saka has. Yeah. But he's the only one on a consistent basis. Yeah. And, and if when you... Saka's playing well, Pepe isn't. So Willian again ends up on the other flank. So, so... But if you've got if you if you've got a striker in Aubameyang who, you know, the clamour was to play him through the middle and you know and, and that it was almost like everyone everyone just said, Oh well, get Aubameyang in the middle, it, it'll all be fine. Nah. Like that that was just the most stupid the most idiotic thing I've I've ever heard. Because it's not just about, oh, we'll move him there and it all clicks. Because if it was that simple, we'd all be managers. Why why this obsession with pounding our head against a brick wall and trying the same formation and tactics week after week after week after week after week and getting beaten? Why is it that we have to play the same way that Liverpool or Chelsea or Man City? Or, why do we always have to be like everybody else? We, how many other teams have two best mates in, in their squad and don't play them together. You know, Lacazette and Aubameyang both get on really well on and off the pitch. You talk about chemistry, their understanding of their runs. Some of the best football they played together on the pitch. They played together. Why not play them as a two? Why not try something? It doesn't mean you have to go to, you know, the old-fashioned Neil Warnock 4-4-2, lump it long and hope for the best. You can play a variation. You can play a 4-1-3-2. You know, you you can still use the wings, but you can have two centre forwards. And you can say to Aubameyang, look, you've got the licence to drift wide, but you always leave a centre forward. Get Lacazette and Aubameyang together and close together. Because at least then you've got that that interplay. You know, and, and Aubameyang is he's, he's a very good finisher when he's coming on to balls, if you know what I mean. You know, when he's he's either slipped through, he's got the ability to take a touch and, and fire. You know, he's he's not a six-yard box predator for, for my money. That's what you've got Nketiah for. And and, and Nketiah is probably as a substitute for to come on and nick you a goal. That's what he's been really good at since he's come back. And and I think Lacazette can do that job because he did that at Leon. But what he did, what he had at Leon was a creative player in behind him. And he had another striker to work alongside if and when required. But you, you, you just don't have that with us. So why not play two of them and, and try it? You know, what, what have we got to lose? It couldn't get any worse. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the that's the thing we're trying to get to. Aubameyang is currently the light, the lightning rod because we're not scoring. If we weren't scoring and we were still not showing this desire, he wouldn't be included in this. But because he is our sole goal getter and mm. isn't getting goals, we're going to be targeting him over other players. But as we've kind of all said, this kind of lack of intent and desire doesn't stop at Aubameyang. No, no it's, it's across this entire squad. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's not a hate campaign. It's not just. No, I'm not. I'm not saying from from a player we all beg to stay. Suddenly, sell him to to Lewisham. I'm not saying that. No. But but also, you want a reaction. You you want to 
you want a captain, you know, he, he's he's very quiet all of a sudden. You know, we're not hearing anything from him. He's a captain. Like, come on. We, we need we need a little bit more is, is what I would say. And when you when you sign a contract of that size, whether it's right or wrong, you're judged on a contract of that size. And fans coming back into to stadiums will judge you on your performances based upon that contract you've signed. Not saying it's right at all. And I'm not saying he isn't getting service. And I'm not saying that he, you know, he is working. I'm not saying he's not working hard. He is. But I, I think there's more to give. And I think sometimes that that needs to come across on the pitch a bit more. Um, and, and, I, and I sort of feel like if you if you talk the talk, you know, much like Mikel has done, there, there comes a point where we're not talking about him not getting goals for, you know, two or three games. We're talking two or three months now. That's that's worrying. That's really worrying. And one one creative midfielder is not going to solve that. And just for the record, said creative midfielder that we were looking at all summer now can't get in the Leon team for disciplinary reasons. So, you know, just saying. <laughs> Maybe trying to force a move, isn't it? Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we kind of we've kind of put the water to rights about that. Um, I just want to move on slightly in something with the Wolves game. I mean, we all saw um, the horrific injury uh, to the Wolves guy, and I, and I wish him a speedy recovery. But that clash of heads was really, really worrying. I mean, anyone who watched it on the, everyone who watched it on the TV heard that noise. I mean, I was sitting in my room and watching it, you know, and I you heard the the heads. Uh, Hitting against each other, you know the Mitch, the um, pitch side mics picked it up like very loudly. You can always tell when players are genuinely worried about another player. You can tell by their reactions and how fast they try to hurry on the physios. And it was, um, it was really, really worrying, really worrying. And you know, it was for me. And you, you've seen the kind of the fallout from 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 it. Uh, loads of people have come out, and loads of organisations have come out and said that there needs to be a change to the concussion rules and head injury rules. And you know, I know it's been spoken about loads and loads of times about having a concussion sub. You know, if someone's been concussed, you just sub someone on, assess them, and then if that person's okay, then you can bring them back on. Um, we was talking about this before we started the pod, and. Um, for me, I I think we can we all agree. I just want one word answer, Chris. Would you have taken off David Dewey straight away? Hundred percent, without any Josh. question. Josh, yourself? Yeah, seeing the incident, the sound, I would have just assumed take him off. So, and full house. I personally would have taken him off straight away, no matter what. Um, but. According to the protocols, you know he could have said that he he could stay on the pitch. And I read up on the protocols, and I, they have to go through certain things, and they ask certain questions. Like I'm assuming they would have, you know, just asked him what day is it today? You know, what did you have for breakfast this morning? You know, think, even things like he just had a baby, so they probably ask him oh, what's your daughter's name, or you know, just little things like that. But one of the protocols it says um if a player is unconscious for any period of time then he, they have to come off and from the tv cameras and for what i saw 
David Luiz was knocked out. He was unconscious for a, a short period of time. He was on the floor, not moving. Now, clearly, I can't tell whether he was conscious or unconscious or not. But for me, he was... If you're lying on the floor, not moving, that would indicate that you were unconscious. So, but apparently he said on the pitch, and the fact that we took him off at half time for me, makes me almost worried that he should have been taken off sooner. I mean, Chris, I I'll come to you now. Like, you was obviously you used to manage. What what do you think more needs to be done so that we don't get players with you know long lasting uh head injuries because concussion can be delayed. Concussion is not straight away onset. It can be delayed. So what needs to be done? There's, I mean, there's a couple of things that need to be done. First, first and foremost, is the game needs to listen to the experts, which is clearly something they're not doing. There's, there's enough research out there that clearly, um, for, even from other sports, that, that clearly lets people know that concussion is very, very serious. Just so people understand, you know, like people say, "Oh, concussion." People just think, "Oh, I got a sore head." It's literally your brain is shaken in your skull like that that's that that's the severity in a blunt term you know of, of concussion and there is just just saying oh do you remember someone's name that's that's a memory test that's fine that's the basics but that's things that medical practitioners would do when you're in a hospital or when you're being assessed in an a e that's not something you should be doing while you're on a football pitch and and the idea that the um you know, the, the player was sent back out there with a bandage, you know, blood coming through the bandage. It was just nonsensical. And I'll let I'll let Josh come in on this in a second, because I know he's got a point about what was said after the game about why the, the player stayed on the pitch. But for me, it, it's you don't question it. Um, I, I had two incidents when I was managing Sunday League where... I, ha I, I instantly subbed two players, not in the same game, I hasten to add, but over two seasons, I just took them straight off. Um, one of them had a full stand-up row with me, you know, because it was basically one of our best players. And I was like, I don't I don't care. I've got no interest. If you if you're and I did say this to him at the time, I said if you're stupid enough not to take you not to take yourself to any to get checked out, that's on your lookout. But as as the manager of, of the club and, and, and looking after the team affairs, I don't want you out on that pitch. You know, we've we've seen players drop dead of heart attacks. There's only so much there's only so many uh, or only so much time that will go by until somebody either either convulses or, or, or drops dead on the pitch from a head injury. They're still doing tests into he whether heading the ball has an effect. You know, look at the Jeff Astle situation. You know, there, there's still a lot of people that, that maintain to this day that heading the ball does not help in you know, your long-term um, health or, you know, sort of health of, the head of, health of the head, if you will. So for me, if that's up for debate, when you're talking about a player who is stretched off and has, you know, since been confirmed to have had a fractured skull, you know, a fractured skull, for Christ's sakes, that's going to have hit David Luiz pretty bloody hard as well. Whether you're the impact or the, or the guy giving the impact, whether you're receiving or distributing, you're going to be knocked senseless. And it was just absolutely, you know, forgive the pun, but brain dead for me. 
and and it, it shouldn't even have been up for discussion. And like you said, Carl, to me it looked like he was out. Even if he wasn't out, he certainly didn't look with it. Um, I struggle to do a podcast with a headache, and you're telling me that uh, you know a six foot some odd centre back can play with a with a, a blooded bandage, having having broken someone else's skull. It's it's just absolutely nonsensical. And I I don't blame our physios or our our medical staff because they're obviously doing what they've been told but somebody and and in in my opinion it should have been the manager should just overrule all that and say no 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 this is ridiculous we've got rob holding who by the way should have been in the team for the start anyway but that's another story just get him straight on it's just completely stupid you, you don't ask a player with a you know with a hairline fracture of the leg to carry on do you unless you says fabregas in you know in the derby but you know but um you, you don't you just take him off it's it's just so stupid. And I and and just to finish off your point about would you have a concussion substitution? No, I wouldn't. Because to me, you just take the player off. Doesn't matter. You don't need a substitution for that. You know, it, it should it shouldn't even be it shouldn't even be registered as a substitution. You just swap a player. It's as simple as that. It doesn't take up any of your allotted players. Um and, and people that are saying, Oh yeah, but then people will, will fake concussion to get extra advantage. Come on. Like, look at other sports, look at the, the research done. It's just mental to me. Josh, what do you think? Well, yeah, I think to go back on one of your points, Chris, uh, at your kind of level, you're also kind of not the medic, but if you had a medically trained doctor next to you who specializes in sports injuries and sports therapy and says to you, I've done everything in my power as a doctor and my assessment is he's okay. When you're a manager and you've got Arteta wasn't, you know, that wasn't the only thing on Arteta's mind. Let's put it that way in this game is, is David Luiz okay. He's got a million and other one things going on because we are a shit show on the field. So if a doctor comes up to him, someone he trusts and he's known for years has said, yeah, he's fine to play on. You're going to take that because you've got 30 seconds to make that decision. Yeah, okay, Rob, sit back down. He's okay to continue and he goes out on the field. I think the biggest problem then is after he's let him go on the field because you see Louise head the ball 20, what, about 10 minutes after. He then never gets near the ball when it's in the air afterwards. And why he doesn't signal that over or why someone doesn't spot that Louise suddenly ensured he was always in the shadow of Gabrielle so that Gabrielle would be the one that would go up for a header. If you look at the, um, oh, which goal was it? Second goal. I think it's the second goal. Yeah, I think it might there. even be the first goal because the positioning of Louise at that point is he's too close to Gabrielle because he's scared of the ball up going up in the air and he wants to make sure Gabrielle's the one that's underneath it, not him in the middle of the box, because he's not going to jump for it. Because at full time, Mikel Arteta says the only reason David Luiz came off at half time was because he said, Gaffer, I can't head the ball anymore. It hurts when I do it and I don't want to head it. And if your centre half says that to you, and Arteta says this in his um, interview with BT after the game, of Sky is you can't have a centre back, can't head the ball. And that's the only reason he comes off because again, they would have assessed him at half time and apparently he passes all those protocols. And I think that's 
where we should be targeting our um, anger at why David Luiz was allowed to continue to play is the protocols aren't strong enough. So, know, why did, so why don't why don't the Premier League just set a rule then? Because that that would be what they I should. would do. I would just say, should. say the Premier League. Any any clash ahead, both players come off. That's it. No no questions. And and whether Jurgen Klopp or anybody else wants to get upset about it, you you collide heads. You know we've got VAR where we can we can draw lines for offside, which take ten minutes. All you got to do is you know two players go up for a header. Um, they both collide. Um, it's not a question of whether it's a foul. You go, right, those two players have gone up for a header. They've both hit heads. They've gone on the floor. It doesn't matter if one gets hit the floor and gets straight back up. doesn't matter. You both, oh, kill, you both collided, and that's it. They simple, both come off, and that's it. You know? Simple physics tells you, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So the energy of that clash is still in what happened from them. One of them yeah. ended up with a broken skull. The same energy would have transmitted back to yeah. David Luiz as well. So the fact that he didn't end up with anything with the impact, that's what I kind of wonder is how it came through. But again, I can't go and tell a doctor how to do his job because he's med you know, he's gone through a lot more than I have than me sitting on my sofa saying, I think that guy's concussed. Arteta is over on the other side of the field. Again, this is to the point of where medics and where the club doctors should be coming together and saying this isn't right. How the only reason I think Wow Jimenez doesn't probably go back on that field is because he's got a fractured skull. If his skull wasn't fractured, I think he'd probably play on. They try and get him to play because we've seen it before that the protocols are too lax. So do you think there needs to be an absolutely independent, impartial doctor who has no... like? There should be a doctor at every single game in case this happens where the club physios are not involved. And I'm not saying... I'm not sitting here saying that there was an ulterior motive in keeping W's on the pitch from the club uh, doctor or physio. I'm sure they went through their correct protocols and they deemed on their checklist, they said, yep, 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 he can stand the pitch. But realistically, you know, there is a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There is a kind of uh, something that they want to keep the player on the pitch. Do you think this should be like a referee, someone, to yeah, I say impartial, but you know, someone <laughs> totally impartial who has no affiliation with the club to do those sort of checks? No, because you've already got that in place with the Hippocratic Oath that if the doctor did let the player go out and something happened and he was wrong, he can get struck off. So his job is on the line, Gary O'Driscoll, who'd have made the call, that this player was okay to continue. And if he makes a mistake, there's a chance he loses his job. So it's not just, uh, oh, well, it'll help the team out. Every time they're making these kind of decisions, they are putting their job on the line because it's their judgment. And I think it's more to do with having, as Chris, you said, having something in place that makes it easier for them to come to that conclusion that actually I don't have to be as borderline 
I can have more gray area. I can think he's okay, but there's more chance of me falling back and saying sub him anyway. Mm. That, if that's, that's, that's an available option. And that's my point. Yeah, that, that, that's my point. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that, and I know a couple of people in the chat, like Steph has said, you know, we'll just ban heading then and, and it wouldn't work. I'm, I'm not saying, okay, maybe I've gone a bit far there and saying you should instantly be substituted. But if, but if an incident like that, you know the difference between a player going up for a header um, and as um, MJL has pointed out in our Twitch stream as well, you know, don't forget about elbows and shots. If a player clearly goes up and gets a full elbow in the head, you know, or clearly goes up and clearly heads head on head that, you know, both players are going to one, one, because you've gone up for the head of the, the action of heading is you force your head towards something. So that's, that's going to be your, your, the, you're delivering the blow if you like. And the person they end up receiving it doesn't always, you, you're not always going to get it in the front of the head. Sometimes you get it in the side of the head, the temple. I mean, in Jimenez's case, you know, it's clearly an accident. Um, and, and, and it is, you know, one of Wolf's most important players, but in that sort of incident, as Carl said, you only had to watch the footage. To me, doctor or no doctor, I could see David Luiz was not fucking with it. It did. It doesn't. I didn't need to go through medical school to look at that player and go, he's not with it. Like that. That to me, I thought. I thought we were past all this. You know, it's the same reason why, in my opinion, and of course, I'm a little bit biased here naturally, but it's the same reason that the fucking thing that Harry Kane does where he, he sort of levers himself and lets players go over the back of him is so fucking dangerous and nothing's being done about it. One one time that's going to happen and a player is going to land on his neck and he's going to break his neck. And that's what it's going to take for someone to go, actually, you, you can't do that. But, you know, it's England captain right now, so that's fine. He can just carry on. It's fucking dangerous. And nothing's being done about that. So if nothing's being done about an, an act from a player who knows exactly what he's doing... There's no way they're going to change the rule about what they will they will deem as an accidental clash. It's it's just it's just it's just mental. Like, he was not with it, and he should never. It shouldn't even been a conversation. I think that's one of the things that we've got to be careful of. As you kind of um, kind of really reeling really back from what you initially said, is not to throw the baby out with the bathwater with how granularly we go, just because. Um, you know, Ryan Shawcross broke Aaron Ramsey's leg doesn't mean we should outrule all tackling. Yeah. Because exactly. tackling can be done sensibly and can be done safely. Yeah. Heading the ball in certain scenarios can be done safely. Um, yeah. You know, it's not always... Out, but what we saw was the kind of Ramsey leg break of a head injury. And Ryan Mason, um, I know Spurs player... But unfortunately, in this regard, he is the player, the example to talk of, got a fractured skull and had to retire from it. So we can't outlaw these kind of challenges because they're going to happen. You know, corners are always going to go in and you're going to end up with these head injuries. But what we need to kind of look at is how we deal with them in terms of making sure they're safe afterwards. And again, the fact that David Louise drove home, to me says he's still passing protocols at that point. Like, yeah, we can say he should have got a taxi home, but again, I don't know, Carl, you want to come on in on this? There's a fucking doctor there who has signed him off and said it's okay. 
that's fine, and, and I totally understand yeah. that. But I, I think, to an extent, and I'm talking like from a manager's point of view, um, someone who looks after 50 odd members of staff, there's a duty of care. You know, I know players want to be seen as you know being hard, want to be tough, but you know when you can look at you can always look at someone and just think. Mm, do you know what? I just don't know. And even if someone drove him home, I mean, let's face it, I, I very much doubt that David Dewey's can't afford an Uber uh, to go to, to his house. So, you know, even if he just said, you know what, David, get an Uber home or, you know, someone will drop you home. I'll come and get your car tomorrow. I just think that, yes, uh, he must be passing all the protocols, all the questions, and maybe we need to look at the protocols. I mean, I know all these experts have come out and said that the uh, the Premier League protocols or the FA, sorry, protocols uh, regarding head, head injuries are, you know, they didn't say these words, but are shit. You know, this way, that's what they blatantly come out and said. And maybe we need to have an independent, indep- uh, an expert independent body to say, okay, these are the these are the protocols that you should have. This is what you should say, A, B, and C. And if they pass it, do you know what? By all means, stay on the pitch and do what you need to do. Uh, but if they do not pass these A, B, and C, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the FA would have got a medical body to write up these protocols. I'm, I very much doubt that they just did it in themselves. But I, I don't know. I, I, just looking at that, I just think that it, it just didn't sit right with me. It, it really didn't. And I was, you know, in a weekend where, you know, I know we're talking about football, but uh, even F1, if you saw the Grosjean crash, even that was like, what the fuck? Like, it was one of those ones where you think, lucky, lucky person. And, I, and I'm not talking about outlawing heading or outlawing, like, you know, challenges like that. It's part of football. And I'm not definitely not a person who wants heading to go but I just think that something more needs to be done. What that more is, I don't know. I personally think, personally, I think an independent body needs to be in charge of uh, assessing concussion. But it just, for me, it just it just didn't sit right. I mean, and I, and I really hope, I really, really hope that him and this makes a full recovery, and I'm sure he will. Um, but. Yeah, for the fact that, you know, this ain't England 1980s, you know, Terry Butcher's been blood streaming down and thinking, oh, he's a hard man because he stayed on the pitch. Nah, them days have gone, do you know what I mean? Like, he needs... Yeah. I, I, I don't know, it just didn't sit right with me. And like I said, I, I can hear, I know what Josh is saying, that he passed all the protocols. And you know what? Fine, I, I totally understand that he passed everything, but as a duty of care, you know, you ha- they're your employee. You have to look after them. And I just think that, for me, he should have come off straight away. It should have been no ifs, ands, or buts. You know what? You're off. I'm not having, I'm not even debating this. You've got to come off. And then afterwards, we'll see what happens. It's very, yeah, it's, I don't know. For me, it just didn't sit right. Yeah, agreed. Totally agree. So yeah, that's that's that. Um, where do we go going forward? <laughs> I mean, let's talk about our, we talk about our November quickly because um, I, I laughed because I saw um, Arsenal tweet about player of the um, <laughs> player of the month for November and also goal of the <laughs> season. 
I'm a gold of the month as well. And we only have two to choose from, a penny or a header, um, or Premier League at least anyway. Um, I mean, <laughs> I'll do it now. What was the goal for you? Uh, the penalty against Man United, Chris, or the header against uh, the one nil, the two one loss against Wolves? It's got, got to be Gabriel, isn't it, from open play? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, just if you're the Arsenal admin, just don't bother. You know, just just don't bother. Like, just just I wouldn't make make a joke out of it because I'm sure somebody will find offence in that. But just don't bother. You know absolutely uh hilarious the whole the whole thing gabrielle is just just while we're on the subject is the one the the one constant shining light of this season so far god bless him but um yeah it's i mean you know what 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 do you do in that situation it's just it's so 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 silly isn't it i mean yeah i know we we kind of had to um josh mikel arteta phones you tomorrow and says you know what you're in charge of Arsenal for one day. How do you change it? What do you change? What do I change? Um, I'd probably redirect the bank account uh, payments that are going to <laughs> Ralph and Yehi and divert them to me. That's probably one thing I'd do. Um, what would I do that I could achieve in a day? I'd just... I'd go through and show them, show some of the players. I wouldn't necessarily go like a bit of a, a passion merchant, but I think you just say to all of the boys that came through the academy, just teach them about, teach the rest of the boys about what the North London Derby means and get them ready for this game coming up. Cause they've all played big derbies. And I think, that could be the catalyst that we need to then go on a decent run. Uh, I think any positive result in the North London derby sees us then go on a decent run of 10 games or so. Uh, and I think that's the kind of thing we need. We need to do something to get some fire in the players' bellies. Like As much as Arteta shouting at them on the sideline, you know, they're not robots. They can jink inside and, you know, put one in the top corner if they really want to rather than playing it back to Granite Jacker to then play it back to Sabayas to then play it back to Leno, who's then going to pass it out to Bellerin on the wing and who's then going to, you know, continue recycling possession. If they really want to stick one in the top corner, they can go and fucking do it. So, yeah, uh, that's what I You say. mean like Lacazette did in the derby last year, for example? Yeah, exactly. Just, just um, saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we lost that one though, didn't we? Uh, yeah, I think we did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, did we not draw? Just, and uh, and it, was a, like, it was a draw, wasn't it, for Tongan equalised? Mm. And it was it for Tongan from yeah. the corner? But and yeah, then, like, and then no, Bram missed a penalty, didn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Last minute. Fun, fun times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> oh gosh, not good. Um, Chris, what if we? If the inevitable happens or the imaginable happens and we lose the North London derby, how much trouble is Mikel Antetta in? Oh, God. Um, oh, I mean, well, firstly, how much trouble am I in? Because if that happens, I might have a little bath in acid. Um, I mean, I, th I think we should we shouldn't forget we've got a massive game against rapid vienna <laughs> but in between those games but um yeah i don't know i mean i I, th I think i think he's already in a bit 
not not I think trouble is the wrong word. I th- I think I think fans are starting to even the most loyal of fans are starting to ask questions at this point. And I, I keep on saying this and people will get bored, but I need to keep repeating it so that uh, people don't go off the, the deep end. I'm not sitting here saying we should change the manager. He's useless. Blah, blah, blah. He's done a lot of really good things. But we have to remember this is his first job and he's not managing the local sports team. He's not managing, you know, with all due respect, the League Two team. Um, you know, he's a he's a club legend, but it's his first big job. And and he has to show us and and the players that he's in, in control of that he's got the ability to learn from mistakes, to try new things, adapt and prosper. And and I love I love Josh's enthusiasm of saying if we can win the derby, we can we can win ten in a row. If that happens, Josh, I, I will bow to your your uh, your positivity. Even for me, that's a step too far. But I get what you mean. And and the the thing that slightly frustrates me about being an Arsenal fan is you could you could so see us going. Uh, we're away, aren't we? You could so see us going to to that toilet bowl and winning because it'd just be the most Arsenal thing ever and probably winning like 4-0. It would just be the most Arsenal thing ever. And then we'll probably go and lose to Burnley at home the following week because that that's kind of what we've been doing. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Right now, I'd probably take that, if I'm completely honest. But that aside, we need to go back to basics. And I think the first thing I'm looking for in that North London derby is is a performance and is, is heart and his spirit. Um, you know, and if we lose by the odd goal, you know, yeah, yeah, of course, it's going to suck, um, especially to that lot and especially to him. But we need a performance. We need a bit of character because little things like that, you'd be amazed. It's, it's like the 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 uh, the striker that goes 10 games without the goal, one goes in off the end of his cock. It, it just lights a fire, uh, literally. And things change and, and players go on runs and players suddenly remember the art of scoring goals. And it's the same with the team performance. If you can come off... Uh, and that pitch on Sunday with a you know a battling result, whether it's a draw or it's a win, I think you know I think anything other than those two things, you're still going to be feeling a bit pissed off. But if you can somehow get out of that with a positive result, you can then build on it, and you almost scale it back, and you go right, we start from here, you know, we start a building blocks. They're being talked about as potential title challenges, which I find hilarious because we all know, we all know, it is the history of the Tottenham. We all know what will happen. They will bottle it. It's inevitable. Um, snap that, record that, no problem. I'll stand by that in May. But they're all being lauded, you know, alongside Leeds. They're the flavour of the month. Everybody loves them. They're wonderful, fantastic bullshit. Not buying it. There's three better teams in this league than Spurs. We need to go with that game plan. We need to go into that game with a positive attitude. I want to see us attack them because we know what they're going to do. They'll put 10 men behind the ball. They'll play on counterattacks. They'll drop deep. They'll bore the shit out of us. We know what's going to happen. Go there, put in a performance, and maybe, just maybe, Bert Leno could uh, catch a few crosses or maybe hold on to a few few shots. That would be nice as well, wouldn't it? But uh, sorry, I had to get that one in there. But yeah, I, I want a performance and I want I want some spirit. And, you know, sorry to be a bit old school, but I want to see a bit of badge thumping. I want to see a little bit of that. I'll come to you, Josh, because I know Chris's thoughts, and I mean, me and Chris kind of share uh, the same thoughts on this. Are you a little bit worried about Bert Leno? I mean, for every save that he does, and you know, he made some good saves in the against Wolves. I think it was the 
first goal was it? The first goal that I personally think he should have saved. Are you? I mean, I'm not saying that you know we we should have kept Emmy or whatever because there's no point in saying that. Emmy's mm-hmm. gone. He's as a Villa player. He is where he is. But are you a little bit worried about his form as well, or is it the case of because he's got shit in front of him? Sometimes these things are going to happen. Uh, yeah, I think it's more the case of Bert Leno is a very, very busy goalkeeper at the moment for Arsenal. There is a lot coming into him. What we saw, I think, what coincided with Martinez and the good run of form was the fact that we were more defensively secure because we were still playing three at the back and we had that system in place. <laughs> the problem we're seeing at the moment is too much is getting to Bert Leno. And you could say that about any goalkeeper, that David De Gea looked like an absolute world beater for Man United when Mourinho ensured that he had a proper barrier in front of him. Petr Cech made his absolute name as a Premier League great because, again, I hate to say his name for the second time, Jose Mourinho built a defence that shielded Petr Cech, that only allowed the shots that went through to him to be easy for him to save. And we're not seeing that with Leno. If Leno's making a mistake, it's because a player's got in behind and they're getting too close to him. Now, I'm not saying that you know a goalkeeper should never have to make a save, but he shouldn't be having to make as many saves as he's doing at the moment um, because we're just so leaky. I don't mind if Leno has to make 20 shots, 20 saves in a game, if all of those shots are from 35 yards. Let's put it that way because you'll know most 98% of goalkeepers in the Premier League are saving 20 out of 20 of those shots. And I think that's the bigger worry, that it's the type of chances, the type of shots we're seeing with him at the moment. Yeah, there's the micro issues that we can go into about, you know, we don't like how he deals with crosses or how he potentially commands his box or how he plays with the ball at his feet. But, the bigger issue is we can see too many shots, so he is too busy because he shouldn't be that busy. And that's that's the bigger issue I'm seeing at the moment. You could say, oh, some of these uh, you know, goals he's conceding are his fault, but how many of the saves has he prevented goals that should have gone in? Because I can still think of every game we look back through they're at least cancelling each other out. And we just need to reduce the number of shots that are coming in on our goal. I just, I, the only thing I, the only thing I, uh, I I'm a little bit tongue in cheek and I agree with you, Carl, you know, we, we've sold Emmy now. We've, we've made that mistake. We can't go back on it, but, um, you know, this is a, this is a goalkeeper that we did spend a lot of money on. This isn't just a guy that we brought through the Academy and is, you know, my 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 big my biggest concern with with Leno is that I don't I don't hear enough from him. I, I just he just doesn't inspire me. He doesn't he he's he's a bit of it. Maybe this is harsh, but it's how I feel. So I'll just say it anyway. He strikes me as a bit of a YouTube goalkeeper. You know, makes some fantastic saves that, that you know he has by no right to make, and he turns in showreel performances. But I always feel like he might just drop one. When, when we when we you know when we lease one, it reminds me a lot of Alex Meninga, 
if you can think that far back. Um, and I loved Alex. He was he was a great find. The difference is we got him for about six quid and a packet of fags from an Austrian club. Um, whereas Leno, we you know we bought with with huge experience. And 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 the other thing that started to worry me slightly is not just this 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 constant obsession with pushing the ball back where it came, which drives me fucking insane because there is no way he's being taught that. And if he is, that goalkeeper coach needs to be fired immediately. You bring the ball into your body. That's the first thing you do, or you push it behind yourself. You don't just push it back into the, the place where it's come from. But the one thing that's really worrying me at the moment is his distribution is getting worse, in my opinion. And that was that was the big thing that we, you know, when we said we brought him in, that was the whole big thing about him. You know, he set counterattacks on the go. He's, his throwing was good. He was good with his feet. I, the last few games, I've, I've not been seeing that. And I've been seeing him slowing a lot of things down. And, yeah, as I say, I'm not saying he's crap. Of course he's not. He's, he's a very good goalkeeper. Of course he is. But um, for the money we've paid, uh, I, I just, I, I'm just not sure about his about his technique at times. Um, and, and, yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't mind admitting it. I did feel more secure when we had Emmy in there because he was a bigger keeper. He was a, he was a louder and, and a, a more commanding presence. And he, and the thing I'd like really, really liked about, about Emmy and, and there's not really many goalkeepers in, in world football that I've seen. Neuer is the obvious one, but he, he catches the ball and he holds the ball. Um, does he make mistakes and crosses and do other things? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm sure he does, but that's what I really like about him. He holds things. Um, and I feel like I feel like Leno's going a bit through De Gea syndrome, where he, you know, he started out brilliantly and is ever so slightly going backwards by the week. But hopefully, I'm wrong. And uh, as I say, I'm, I'm not I'm not taking away the brilliant saves at Leeds. I'm not taking away the performance at Anfield. And you know, he's um, he's, he's he's done very very well in games. But he's a goalkeeper. That's kind of his job to make saves. Um, and if you're going to make saves, at least push them clear of danger. That's that's that's, that's all. I think I think you agree with me anyway, Carl. So I don't need to preach to the the choir on that one. <laughs> no, I um, yeah, I, I'm just a little bit worried about Leno at the moment. <laughs> I'm not saying that he's a bad goalkeeper. I'm just no. saying that he he for like I said, for every good save that he makes. It's just there's always something in the background that you just think, "Oh damn, he should have mm. saved that." You look, you look at his goals and you, you, the goals we concede, and let's face it, there are a lot of them lately. And you just think to yourself, "A better goalkeeper would have saved that," or "You yeah. really should have done better there." You really should have, you know, just hold on to that, kept that, not done basic mistakes. And you know, goalkeepers are going to make mistakes. It is part and parcel of their game. But that's what they do. Like, not no goalkeeper is going to have a ten out of ten performance every single game. But like you said, I think that Emmy Martinez just holds on to things just a little bit better. And you know, it's it's the case of what might could have been. But you know, we we are we we are have we have Leno now, and he's our goalkeeper for the foreseeable. And you know, we stick with what we've got. Yeah, just want better technique, you know. He's that, the, that was the thing the, I hated on Sunday. It was the technique of how he saved. I just yeah. he's the best goalkeeper at Arsenal. I think that's what we can say for certain. I think that's fair. Yeah. 
Definitely. <laughs> he, he's not short of being the only jockey for Arsenal. <laughs> well, to, be, to be fair, Renasson has, has not done anything wrong since he's come in oh, to the two games he's oh, played. So. If we're looking at goalkeeper's technique, um, yeah, just rewatch some of the, and I'm going to put it in inverted commas, saves Renard makes against uh, Mulder because there is does, not, it's not yeah. best practice, shall we say. Uh, I think one, progress, of favorite, one of my favourite tweets uh, about that was that the fact that Renard looks like a third tier midfielder who then thought he could have a going goal because he's decent when the ball's at his feet, but he's not really a goalkeeper. I think that's incredibly harsh, by the way. But yeah, I, I don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's yeah. ever going to be our number one, but I think he's perfectly no. adequate at being a backup. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he, he's perfectly good as a hat stand for the moment. So we get uh, is it? Did they want it from David Raya? Oh, David, um, oh da- David yeah. Flappy. I can't quite catch crosses Raya, but I also look good on YouTube. Yeah, he's another great one for for another eighteen million that we'll waste on a goalkeeper. That Don't worry, we'll get Adrian instead. Um, the pinnacle <laughs> of uh, of YouTube goalkeepers. You know, Bring you know they're a YouTube. You know they're a YouTube goalkeeper when they go with the wrong hand for a save. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or they hang in, or they hang in midair when there's no reason to do so. Yeah, the hair is excellent at it. Um, if you see him try and save a long shot, look how he has that split second before he realizes that he's going with the wrong hand and just kind of waves yeah. it over the top. It looks amazing. And then you look at actually, that's Leno doesn't always do that. That's one thing I do like about Leno is if he saves it, he saves it in a very German way, which is it is to my left side. I will save it with my left hand. A very German way. I like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. What, what's? Uh, I wonder what Sebastian Frey's doing with his time these days. Perhaps we could get him in after oh, all these years. Sebastian Frey. Is he at Monaco? <laughs> Not Monaco. Montreal no. Impact. No, uh, oh, no, no, that's no, no, he, no. That's that's, that's yeah. Frey. That's that's a different Frey. And uh, Vito Manone. I am Vito Manone. He's at Monaco. So That'd good be time. Perfect for if we got Vito Manone in, it's an extra body at centre back with his nose. That's also uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, today, I mean, Josh, can you have a look at the questions and uh, I'll yes. prime you up for them? Just want to say, talk about this very, very quickly. Today is December 1st, and obviously it is beginning one more month, and it is the January transfer window. So, you know, we're going to start getting the stories of uh, who's coming in. I think they started already because I saw in the paper that we're linked with Christian Eriksen. Um, Chris, the way you're laughing, I think you and I had exactly the same, uh, exactly the same idea. Christian Eriksen, yeah, yes or no? Yeah, no. Uh, I, I know what, what we'll do. What we'll do is we'll we'll ship out one. Of, we'll ship out a lazy, um, flamboyant, creative number ten. Um, and then what we'll do is three, four months later, when we realise that might have been a slight mistake, we'll go and find another one of those and put him in our team. That'll work wonders. That, that'll be great. Uh, no. Look, Spurs bias aside, um, which we all know when anyone plays for Spurs, they're dog shit. And the minute they leave, that's OK. They're fine again. I like Luka Modric. Um, when he was at Spurs, he was a cunt. Now he's fine. I like him. But um, no, he, he's a very talented player. Uh, who made the wrong move. Conte obviously clearly wants him out. Um, Inter have just gone 3-1 up, by the way, which is lovely news. But, um, yeah, he's he doesn't he just doesn't fit. Uh, he doesn't fit us at all. Um, would he improve us? Yeah. 
but I well, I'd put you and Josh in midfield, and that would improve us right now. So I don't. I think it's a pretty low bar. The only way I can see that deal happening is if it financially suits us. Um, in a weird way, I could I could actually see Mesut Ozil going the other way. He strikes me as the sort of player that Conte would 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 love. He loves a he loves a, a sort of um, an, a, a yesteryear Premier League player in his midfield. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. But um, yeah, I, I just I think I think it's a little bit of lazy paper talk to be honest. Uh, is he talented? Yes, but does he fit us? Nah, not for me. Uh, and quickly, sticking with you, I know you would have seen on Twitter that. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely saw that. <laughs> um, no, but you mentioned it earlier uh, about um, Awar not being in the um, the squad. Do you think there's a chance that we could possibly get him in January? Um, yes. Yeah, it's a short answer to that because he's there's enough going on in Leon that, that makes me think that, that, yeah, we could. The The difficulty is, is that when you're dealing with, with Jean-Michel Olas, you're always dealing with a guy who's, as he proved over the summer, not going to take it cheap. Um, the, the one bonus is as long as he's not in the Leon team, his valuation is not going up. So that's a bonus. Uh, and for, for anybody who doesn't know the situation, the reason that he didn't play, on Sunday where he was left out was because he refused to do the warm down having been a substitute and not coming on in the previous game um, he basically said the pitch was too cut up and he didn't want to risk injuring himself having been out on in, having been out through injury um, me thinks he was being a little precious there but uh, yeah it's clearly a bit of a, a bit of a fallout between him and Rudy Garcia but yeah he's he's a Leon A he, I'm sure that he will come through that he'll get back in their team fairly soon but yeah I, I think there is a possibility but have we got the money because we didn't have it in the summer so I guess it all depends on whether whether or not we can shift any bodies in in, in January which I doubt because let's be honest who would buy any of our players right now like <laughs> who would buy any of our players so now I think it's more likely that we'll we'll try again in the summer. Although putting my uh, miserable hat on, I think it's more likely that we end up with a, a third or fourth choice average run of the mill midfielder and not actually get the one we're after in in the summer next year in, instead. Which is which makes me kind of sad. But yeah, I, I would try it because you just never know. If he's still out the team in January, then you got you got to you got to give it a go, haven't you? Especially yeah. if he's pushing for a place in the Euro squad as well. That's the other, yeah. That's the other thing, and the, and it, and he will be because there's a lot of competition, particularly in the midfield area for France. So yeah, if he wants to get anywhere near that team, then uh, he needs to be playing. So yeah, I guess we'll see. Indeed. Anyway, Josh, I will leave the questions up to you. Okay. Excellent. Uh, question for you, Carl, because you know we haven't heard a lot from you. Uh, and this comes from our shiny Discord channel. Uh, Danny will probably put in some um, links to it. So you can join us. Uh, after all the podcasts, we kind of continue the conversation in there for a bit. And after just whenever, you can just send messages in there and someone will reply. Might not be me, but it could be someone else better like Danny. Definitely not Ellis, though. Um, but yeah, sorry, question for you, Carl. Uh, from Akeeb. Should Arteta go back to the five at the back system? I think that's uh, an idea. As long as we have 
the personnel. I mean, the only reason why you do play three centre-backs is because the two of them are not good enough. So you have to put an extra one in. That's 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 the whole key of playing like three centre-backs. Um, it would be very good, but then you're having to arch your midfield to do just a little bit more as well. It gives us protection. I think it does. But I think the the issue we have at the moment is creativity. I, I, I think that teams find it very easy to go through us. They're, they're very easy to just cut through us. And we do need a bit more protection. But again, it's the creativity up front as well. As we're conceding goals, but we're not scoring goals as well. So Arteta has a lot of work on his hands. Uh, there's no harm in going back to five at the back. I personally would do it for Spurs uh, away. I would definitely go five at the back for Spurs away. Uh, I'll be inclined to play Maitland-Niles as well um, because he's that... He's Remember, towards the end of last season, he was Arteta's go-to person. He was a workhorse. He literally, you know, shepherded people and stopped counter-attacks and broke him. He was that sort of person. So I would have him in the squad, whether Arteta will or not, I don't know. But I would... I can't believe I'm saying this because I'm having to agree with Akeeb. It's almost like agreeing with Ellis. I feel dirty, but <laughs> yes, go back, go to five at the back. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, question for Chris uh, from, again, the Discord channel from Big Bunny Kane or Tony or uh, Gucci Lane or that's he's got millions of accounts. He's like dial squared on acid. Um, but what is your starting 11 for the North London Derby and how much confidence do you have in your choices? <laughs> what, what is it? Or what would I like it to be? I guess that's, that's more. Uh, of an we'll go, what would you like it to be? Um, I'm, there's well, only like, about three French players in our squad. So you've got to name at least eight others. Yeah. We'll get, get DT back. First of all, um, I mean, I'd like, I'd like to see it. I'd like to see, I'd, I'd like to see four at the back continue, but I, I do worry about that. But if we're going to do that, I'd like to see a, a four-one-three-two, like I said before. Um, as much as I am not uh, the biggest Shaka fan in the world, I mean, I presume El Nene will be back for this one, though, won't he? Mm -hmm. So I think he's available. So if so, I'd have him in ahead of Shaka for all, all day long. I'd have Holding and Gabriel back. I'd have uh, the two fullbacks the same in, in Hector and and, and uh, Kieran Tierney. Um, I'd say I'd have Eleni basically as the, the one uh, sort of holding midfielder. And then I'd have a three. I know Pepe suspended, so I would go with, with Saka. I'd actually probably go with, with Saka, uh, Maitland-Niles and um, Danny Ceballos. And I say Maitland-Niles because I'd have him and Saka almost protecting the full-backs when we're out of possession. So we come back to almost like a five-back. Uh, and then Ceballos sort of being in, in behind. Um, and then I'd play Lacazette and and uh, Aubameyang up top uh, as, as an actual two. And then you can you can have Lacazette again drop back into the midfield area when we lose the ball and, uh, and leave Alba up front. And then when we're attacking, you push two, two forward. So... That's what I would do personally, and then obviously you've got plenty of subs, Nelson, Smith Rowe, etc., on the bench to come on. So that's nice. what I do. Excellent, uh, Carl. 
a question for you from uh, Julian Salmondo. Uh, it's a, how am I going to describe it? It's about a player. Uh, I'm going to describe them as the uh, Spanish Julian Draxler. Uh, would you have Isco? No, cool. no, definitely, definitely not. I love Draxler, though. Oh, yeah, I, I know any fucking day of the week. But no, I would not have Isco. I'm sorry. I think um, he's beginning to be a bit of a journeyman, isn't he? Not a being journeyman. I just don't think that we're taking it to too many people's like castoffs. I mean, if he can't. If he's not performing at Real Madrid, then what makes you think he's going to come to Arsenal and, and do that? We've we've had too many of those players that we just managed to just pick up just because another team didn't want them. You know, I just think that he, where would he even fit in our squad? Like where where what would he do for us? So for me, no. Yeah, and no, I think that makes sense. It's going to be interesting to see what we do in January because it will give us an idea of what the process is that we've got in place. If we start going after an Isco or an Ericsson instead of a Sabozloy or a uh, uh, our, it will show if, uh, you know, if we're going after short-term fixes or a long-term vision, and I think we need to go for the long-term vision, really. Um, well, let's go back to these other questions. Uh, question from Jim Halson going to Chris. Uh, actually, we'll go for all of us. We'll grab this one. Uh, which do you think will happen first? Arteta gets sacked or he leaves? But Chris, do you want to go first on that one? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really like the idea of either, really, because I, I want him to succeed. Um, I, th- I think I think it's more likely that if if either if either or were to happen, I think it'd be more likely that he would he were to be sacked because ultimately it comes down to money and how do you make money fans and if fans are unhappy, what do you do? You do the thing that essentially brings the fans back. So, yeah, I I think I I, I could never could never see him walking away because why would he? You know, he's mm. it's his first big job. It's his opportunity to to make a name for himself. He's always going to believe in 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 what's best for him, just like I never saw Unai Emery leaving of his own accord, however bad it got. So I think, yeah, he, he would be more likely to be sacked, but I think it, I think he'll be around for a while yet. So I don't don't think it's going to be a question we'll have to ask personally. Carl, what's your thoughts on this? Um, like Chris, I don't really want to see either happen at the moment, but I don't see him walking away. You know, why would he? walk away from a job where he kind of has free reign, doesn't he? Let's be mm. honest. He, he's the manager, isn't he? Like he got his, um, his title change. So yeah, I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon unless he's sort of told that he needs to leave. Yeah. And I, I completely agree and more so kind of lock it down that I don't think Arteta is going anywhere for the next 18 months. Um, even longer from there. The, I think we're going to, as an Arsenal, we're going to kind of, um, we're going to say like Hassan Ho to it uh, in terms of, you saw what Southampton did when they lost 9-0 to Leicester 
everyone assumed Hassan Hussle was sacked. But what the board actually did was they doubled down on Hassan Hussle and said, no, we have faith in this guy. It's the squad that's the problem. And if you remember back to two seasons ago, when Josh Kroenke did the big talk about, um, you know, uh, get excited. One of the things he said in there was at the Europa League final, where we lost to Chelsea, he looked every single player in the eye and he knew which ones had it and which ones didn't in terms of mentality. So he knows there's a problem with this squad already because we haven't cleared out everybody that was in that Europa League final. And I think the board understands that the team is a problem and there's a problem in the squad. They've looked to rectify the fact that the backroom staff and the hierarchy around weren't doing enough to rectify that as well. We saw Rouse and Yehi leave. Um, we've seen Hasfami move on to other bits and pieces as well. So there have been changes around the club and I think they've got faith in Mikel Arteta. There's a reason why they went back for him as well. They've given him a new position only, what, a month ago? He was promoted to manager rather than head coach. So that doesn't sound like short-termism, that they're going to get rid of him. So I think he's going to be here for a long time. And by the kind of actions of promoting him was almost their kind of show of faith rather than, you know, it's the old adage from West Ham, you know, Karen Brady or the Dildo brothers come out in the papers and say, oh yeah, we completely back the manager. Two weeks later, he's sacked. That's that's not the way we're kind of going to do it. I think we're not going to come out and publicly back the manager because the other thing is why, why should we, why should the board come out and say, we're going to stick with Arteta. They're going to stick to Arteta by just not firing him. Arteta will know they'll say it to him. They'll give him the backing and they've backed him by backing him in the transfer market as well. But we've seen, Partey come in for a huge upfront fee. So I can't see him leaving anytime soon. And that KSE and the rest of the board absolutely understand that the squad is the problem. And that's where I think we will kind of sit going forward. Um, but other couple of questions. Ooh. Uh, let's go. Question from our very own Femster82. Question to Chris. What is the major difference between Thierry Henry's behaviour at Monaco compared to this Arteta? Thierry was panned for being a discipline merchant, but Arteta's been praised for it. Yeah, it's a good question that Femi put. I know it's that one. Uh, the big difference is that Thierry was tactically... Um, very naive, to be perfectly honest. He wasn't ready for a job in, in a top flight. Um, he hadn't really done his apprenticeship, whereas Mikel has um, under Pep. And he, I think he, he went in with the idea that just being a Monaco legend would be enough to get players to buy into his his style. Yes, he did get criticised for being a disciplinarian, but I don't think that that wasn't really the, re the reason why he was removed from that from that spot the reason he was he was removed from monaco was because he he couldn't set teams up correctly um he was tactically naive he was um isolating 
players that had been at that club for a number of years and that were you know, essentially he was just playing the kids without really any thought behind it there was no experience and, and he was rubbing people up the wrong way um he's at the right place now in, in 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 mls where he can actually sort of learn his trade much like Vieira did although he's struggling at nice now as well but uh yeah it's it's a good comparison and it and it does it does what it does show is that just being a club legend doesn't mean you're going to be a club legend manager um, it gives you a good footing and it gives you a bit of time with the fans, but ultimately it doesn't mean you're going to be a good manager. So, yeah, unfortunately for Thierry at that time, it was too much too soon. Whereas with Mikel, I think it's a bit early to judge whether it's too much too soon. It might be, in fairness, but um, it's too early to judge that just yet. Cool. And I'm going to go final question to you, Carl, and then you can take it from there as well. Is from Matt L. Roberts. Uh, what do you think is our issue with November? Stats showing we have been, I'm going to say shit, since Wenger was in charge in November. Is it just a cursed month? Um, <laughs> Hard to say, isn't it? it? It's a whole load of things. It's maybe fitness level drops. I mean, normally we would have had an intense preseason. September, you know, we're the side of the league. October, you're kind of getting into the crux of European competition. And then maybe November, people players just a little bit tired. They're just, you know, kind of thinking, shit, I need a little break at the moment because they're playing, well, at the moment, it's, you know, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. And maybe, you know, I, it could also be the change of the weather. I mean, you know, November's October, November's when the weather changes, you know, gets a little bit colder. And I... You know, we, we say that, you know, these footballers are pampered and blah, 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 but we all affect it. We all get affected by it, you know. Um, I'm sure all of us, when they see the weather changing, you wake up and it's dark and you go to bed and it's dark as well. You don't see daylight. It's horrible. And, you know, we've got to remember that these footballers are humans as well. They all have stresses and shit in their life. So there's a whole host of reasons. I'm just hoping that our December is a much, much better, starting with a win in the North London derby. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's because they forget to put the clocks back at London Colney and it confuses everybody. It, it well could be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um Anyway, I can hear Danny screaming in my ear saying, you're nearly two hours. Um, so we'll wrap it up. I mean, yeah, our next couple of fixtures are looking, well, we've got uh, Vienna on Thursday, which you're thinking we've got to win that, right? Like the, at home, first time you're going to have fans in, this, in the stadium for since, what, February? Um, we've got to win that. It's Europa. The big one against Spurs, you know, 2,000 Spurs fans spitting ball and abuse at our players. If that's not enough to gear people up, then uh, I don't know what. But I... Uh, in my heart, I always want to say that we're going to beat them. Always. I just think we can't lose to them. But unfortunately, Mourinho has got them playing quite well, which is quite annoying like I'll be honest with you it does kind of annoy me just a tad so it's one of them ones where 
it, it's difficult. It is a very difficult game. Uh, I want to say draw, but you know, you just don't want that. I was going to call him something really bad in Jesus car, <laughs> but you know, um, not as bad as what Steve would call um, him, but, and we all know yes. what, yeah. Um, <laughs> God rest his soul. Yeah. But um, yeah, you can just see that the Spurs players turning up and hopefully our players will, you know, I still look back to the, the four, two by Una Emery. And that was one of the best games of football. I think I've, ever seen it was absolutely he had everything it was just absolutely brilliant and you know we need to channel the spirit of that to hopefully come away with a good result uh then we got Dundalk away which let's face it we should be able to play the kids and um we shouldn't play any first team players in that game whatsoever because we've already qualified so Personally, I don't want to see any first teamers go out to Dundalk, although it's just a little trip over the pond. Um, and then Burnley at home, which, if I remember rightly, didn't we scrape a win against Burnley last season? Wasn't it like 2 1? I think we always scrape a win against Burnley, don't we? It's either by a handball or a dodgy penalty decision. Wasn't that the uh, Surprise's <laughs> first game where everyone thought, oh my God, Surprise is the next bloody. That was, that was Burnley at home, wasn't it? Not Burnley yeah. away. Two, two, yeah. No, we got Burnley at home. We got Burnley at home. Oh, sorry. But, yeah, Burnley away yeah. is the one where we always win with a handball or a dodgy uh, penalty. Yeah, and that was yeah, that was when Tobias first came, and we thought this player is just the best player in the world. And then, yeah, sadly, I want to touch on quickly on Tobias. Is is it me or does he never perform a pass without doing the pirouette first? Yeah, because he's Spanish. <laughs> It's a Spanish diminutive playmaker. It's part of the coaching in there. But yeah, I think it's also, as Chris is saying, part of the coaching. If there was a pass on for him immediately, I think he'd play it. But he's pirouetting because he's buying time for someone to make a fucking move. It's just a nightmare at the moment. Just If someone makes a run in behind, he will spot them and play them in. Uh, but I think it is down to coaching and how rigid this system is at the moment. Do you think there's a chance we could get yeah, a striker still- in January? Yaya Sonogo is available again. We should perhaps oh go for him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and for the record, I really like Sabias. I, I think people, I don't think people realize how good a player he is. Which I is think not, he's again, a great player. He just, him. yeah, it's a bit like the issue of saying, why aren't any of our play, players running into the box mm. and saying we need to buy X, Y, and Z player because they're box to box? We've got those players in our squad, they are just being told not necessarily to do that. Like Willock can yeah. make great runs late into the box. Sabios, uh, FA Cup, Sheffield United, you know, dying seconds of the game. That's a late run into the box when he scores that uh, winner for us. We've got players that can do it. They just aren't doing it in this team. And it's something about the system that isn't right. Yeah. Imagine a midfielder, Sabayos, Partey and Ozil. That would have been quite fun, wouldn't it? Just saying. I mean, yeah, it's uh, Partey carrying two people on his back, sure. <laughs> I don't think so, because I think I think Partey would have played alongside Sabayos and that would have freed up a 10. Because mm. Sabayos can play, defen- you know, not, not defensive football, but he can play deeper as well. But he moves the ball quite well in that, that position. So. Yeah, but I anyway, just don't that's, think that number that's is as well. But... We've, uh, I mean, if people not. want to hear those thoughts, they can rewind. Yeah, true. It would have been fun just to 
seen it once or twice, but yeah. All right. Uh, are we going to do shout outs? Yeah, we can. I mean, if, if we've got any. <laughs> My will always go to the last person I tweeted or followed me. So give me two seconds. Uh, is that is that TFL? Where's my fucking train? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, lot. My trains are good now. Uh, <laughs> kind of. Because I'm on annual leave, that's probably why. Right. I'm going to go first, because I can. And my shout-out is going to go to the last person that tweeted me. Uh, oh, Stefan Selby. Well, I think we were talking about some nonsense with Danny. But Stefan, uh, he's uh, the tall, blonde one, the number one. Give him a follow. Always good. That's me. Are you going to pass this over to someone, thanks? <laughs> <laughs> just on, wait there you, you can oh, go for next. For fuck's job. sake, I wasn't ready. I was just being a Larry little shit. <laughs> fuck's sake, that backfired, doesn't it? Uh, I would say Stefan is also the uh, manager and captain of the ABW Pro Clubs team uh, on Xbox. And I think he has got the brand new Xbox, which I think comes with an added extra of vape gas that comes out, a vape smoke that comes out at the top. It's not, it's not a feature, a launch feature of it anyway. Um, my shout out is going to be for, drum roll, can't do the last person that I tweeted because I've already shouted them out a couple of times on this because they've done questions. So I'm going to give it to Sophie from the Highbury squads because I was watching their show yesterday. Uh, no, I was watching the Gunas show yesterday and I thought she made some really interesting points. Um, some of them I didn't necessarily agree, agree with, um, but I would recommend if you haven't checked out the Highbury dreams, Highbury squad, not Hybrid Streams, Hybrid Squad, go and check it out because they've got some really interesting guests coming up with Kevin Campbell chatting to a load of ex-pros and those shows are always good. Chris? Yes, uh, no um, shout out for uh, individuals or something, but in uh, in a week where a lot of people... Yeah, definitely not that. Yeah, in a week where people have have mourned, you know, a legend of the game, albeit with some controversial elements, which I think have been rather amazingly overlooked, but we won't go there. Um, Papa Booba Diop was um, unfortunately um, another player that uh, is no longer with us in recent days, and in, you know, in a week where all the tributes have gone elsewhere. I think it would be unfair not to mention his name. I remember him playing for Fulham just up the road. He dominated us on a number of occasions. I think he scored at the Emirates, for, if, if memory so. He certainly had a good performance against us at one point or another. Um, yeah, just just really sad, a player of that age. I know he'd been been unwell for a while, but I think he was only just short, short of 40. So, real shame. And um, I still won't ever quite forgive him for scoring the opening goal in that World Cup where France were an absolute disaster. But uh, no, quality player. And, and if you talk to anyone who knew him, lovely bloke in the game as well. So sad times. Um, and, and obviously condolences to anyone who knows him. But yeah, good good, good player and a player in the Premier League era that will be remembered fondly. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I think everyone at ABW definitely echoes your sentiments. And also, I suppose we have to sort of you know, mentioned Diego Maradona. I mean, he's definitely before my time, probably before any of our times, but he was an absolutely 
brilliant footballer from what I've seen and kind of carried Argentina on his back and, you know, anyone that can, yeah, he had his troubles, definitely. But he was, I think there's, you know, you see certain clips of certain people and there's this warm-up clip um, where he's sort of dancing to music and warming up and kicking the ball up in the air and just juggling the ball. You, you do look and think he definitely was a player. And if he didn't have his troubles, now what kind of player he could have been? He was very, very good. So, yeah, condolences to Papa Di, Papa Bubat Diop's family and also Diego Maradona's family. Uh, that is it. That is the end of it. We tried to... I mean, we weren't too bad, was we? we? I mean, there was nothing positive to mention about our last three results at home. It was a uh, rather... I don't know. What's the word? I don't want to say shit, but it is what it is. It was very November. I think that's the word, definitely. <laughs> it was definitely very November, and we had to look forward now. Hopefully... You know, the North London derby, we do get a result. It's it's going to be hard. Let's face it; it's going to be absolutely tough to get uh, to go to there and win, especially how we're playing right now and how they're playing. But as Chris said, it wouldn't surprise us if we go there and win three to four one and easily, and hopefully uh, we do it. So, first of all, I want to say thank you, Josh. It's been my absolute pleasure to be on with you, Carl. That sounded. Mildly erotic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you, Chris. No worries, mate. We will we will take down the the empire one one person at a time, starting with Danny. It's all good, mate. Yeah, we're definitely taking over. It's now going to be called a Chris, Josh, and Carl Wonderland, or should we just call it a fuck Ellis Wonderland. I don't know. Yeah, you I like that. decide. No, that's yeah, too. Like no, that's giving him too much praise. Why would we, you know, headline our show? Fuck Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Too much credit for him. <laughs> no worries everyone thank you very much and I'll see you later press the button Danny look uh, everybody I must say it's a big pleasure for me to be appearing on uh, the uh, Burkham Wonderland podcast the top top podcast and uh, yes uh, enjoy certainly as soon as I scored that goal I was fucking livid splendid business get down dog <laughs> <laughs>